Ukraine celebrated its Independence Day on August 24th, amidst fears that Russia will use this date for major strikes against Ukrainian targets, including Kyiv. However, apart from Russian usual missile strikes, nothing happened on a larger scale. Does this mean that Moscow has no real military tools to achieve a breakthrough in this war? You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. This is our weekly digest, an overview of key events and trends in Ukraine from August 22 to August 28, 2022. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor at Ukraine World. My co-host is Tityana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend majority of your support to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. So let's make, Tanya, this overview of key events and trends over the past week. And I mentioned in the introduction that probably the key event is actually the celebration of the Independence Day and the fears that Ukrainians had that Russia will try to use this date, for example, to make a major strike on Kyiv. Uh, let's discuss this. What do you think? Yes, exactly. Our intelligence was telling about horrible things to happen. So a lot of people were in kind of stress for many weeks already before the date. But in the result, what we observed that on one hand, yes, indeed, there were a lot of air alerts during the day. So if I'm not mistaken, 189 alerts in total on the whole territory of Ukraine it is really huge. And in some regions, there were uh, 14 hours of air alerts during the day. This is also huge. But at the same time, if if we talk in terms of effect, in, term, in terms of destruction, yes, indeed, this tragic event in Chaplin happened when the normal train was struck by missiles, maybe a number of missiles, and 25 people died. It's in Dnipropetrovsk yes, Oblast, yes, in, in yeah. the eastern Ukraine. Uh, a big uh, military, st- uh, a big missile strike on this uh, station. Yeah, just an important station because, uh, in, on one hand, there are trains going to the east to Donbas, and on the other hand, there are trains. There were trains going to the south to the, to the another front line. So maybe that was the plan, and maybe they were thinking to hit kind of a military train or something like that. Unfortunately, civilian civilians died. Uh, two kids included, six years old and eleven years old, local kids who were just playing in the in the in outside of their houses. So this is real tragic. But at the same time, there were some other strikes on military uh, objects, like for example in Mirgorod. Uh, no victims, at least communicated, and some other strikes. But if if, if we talk in total in the results, so we see that it was a normal day with a lot of air alerts and no real damage made to neither uh, military infrastructure nor to civilians, apart from this tragic, tragic um, thing in in Chaplinet. And in a way, we survived. I mean, in a way, there were no major strike on Kyiv, apart from one strike later, uh, in, during the night to the 25th of uh, August, there was a strike in uh, in a village called Lutish. 
so it is in the northern part of northern part of um, a suburb in Kiev. So it was a military base, and the Russians have, have already hit this place once before. No major effect. So in a way, and what we also know, we know that uh, Russians used planes to imitate the preparation for strikes they were prepared, as if it looked like they were trying to keep Ukrainians in a kind of a stress and extreme tension during this day, but with a, quite a little outcome. So in as a result, Ukrainians feel that they survived this day. Nothing really, really dramatic happened, at least in on the scale of the whole country. And we also feel that Russia doesn't really have a lot of arguments now because, yes, they can still use missiles, but uh, we also feel that they are, for example, two or three days after the 24th of August, there were no air alerts, at least in Kiev. So it means that they used uh, missiles they were collecting for many weeks before this day. So it means that they are trying to make an economy on this missile. They are trying to calculate the effect but they are at least getting weaker. Yes, and when we are saying that nothing dramatic, of course, we we stress this tragedy in Chaplin. And, uh, but the reality of this war is that, uh, I mean, we, that can be any other day. And we have regularly, maybe every week, we, we have such horrible stories when the missile uh, just kills the civilians, it goes to the... Uh, railway stations, as is in Kramatorsk, it goes to the shopping malls, as is in Kremenchuk, it goes to uh, dormitories, as in Kharkiv. This is unfortunately the rea- reality of this war. Now, if you want to learn more about Ukrainian independence, we made a podcast episode uh, explaining the Ukrainian independence, its its meaning, its sources. Uh, you can listen to one of our previous episodes. Uh, let me also draw your attention to a Twitter space we have made with uh, uh, a powerful initiative, Razo for Ukraine, uh, which is based in the United States. You can find it in either on the Twitter of Razo for Ukraine or on the Twitter of Ukraine World or my personal Twitter, Volodymyr Yermolenko. We're trying to discuss with uh, Christopher Atwood, we're trying to discuss the the origins and the meaning and the and the background of the Ukrainian independence. So let's move on and uh, and try to analyze other things uh, happened during this week. Of course, the situation on the front line. Uh, what we can say about the situation on the front line? Well, the situation on the front line seems to to get to get uh, quite slow because. Um, Russians were saying that they were preparing for an attack, that they were kind of an operational pause for for several weeks. They were preparing counterattacks or attacks in the south, specifically in the direction of Mykolaiv. And we do remember they that were lucky enough to get the village of Blahodatne uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it, it so we thought that they were advancing, but in fact, if you observe what's happening both in the south and in the east. We see the same uh, the same uh, vicious circle every day. So they attack, they get the response, and they get back. And uh, if you look attentively to the maps, you will see that the front line is not really moving for for almost two months at least. And uh, and this is despite the fact that Russia 
was successful enough to get a lot of troops in the south. But at the same time, they're still unable to progress in the direction of Mykolaiv or in the direction of Zaporizhia. It doesn't mean that they don't shell. Yes, they, they do shell a lot of towns and cities in, in this uh, southern direction, both in Donbass. Every day we, we get more news about another hotel uh, hit by a missile, another civilian in, um, object of infrastructure hit by missile or, or artillery fire quite frequently. But uh, the front line is not moving. So uh, it could be a sign of, uh, once again, we are talking about the the, the fact that the uh, Russian army is starting to get to get exhausted, in fact, by this attack. At the same time, let's uh, also observe that Ukrainians, we are in the end of the of August, and we do remember that a kind of a huge counter-offensive was promised during the August, during August, but nothing like that happened. So at the same time, we, we see that Ukrainian army, Ukrainian troops are not advancing, and there is also some reasons for that, because they still wait for more weapons on one hand. And on the other hand, the explanation is that Ukrainian army does it best to preserve the lives of soldiers. So they will advance at the moment when they will have enough weapons to keep the, I don't know, the majority of troops alive and not wounded. Let's also understand that the fact that the front line is not moving, it doesn't mean that the conflict is frozen, because... This is an artillery war which is going on every day. And unfortunately, our Facebook feed is just full of necrologies. And it continues to be so. Unfortunately, our friends die. And people, for example, in my case, people uh, with whom we were preparing a few years ago the book uh, by the veterans of of that war, Donbass War, the voice, the voice of the war, Holos Vini, some of them, of course, unfortunately, are not with us anymore. And uh, another of our acquaintance, uh, who is called Skripal, uh, a person who plays the violin, it's a fantastic soldier, but also a fantastic violinist, who also took part in, uh, in the protests, which are organized by another fantastic personality, Irina Chernohus, uh, who is a, a young woman on the front line, very brave, uh, but also a fantastic poet, a great poet, great writer. She was actually in our student, and uh, uh, she was organizing protests um, in front of the uh, presidential office uh, in 2020, I think, right? And uh, uh, when when there were signs that presidential office is, is trying to, you know, go to the compromises with Russia, and uh, this Skripal unfortunately died a few years ago. A few Good days, day. a few days ago, and he was—I remember—he was during this protest. He was playing uh, Vivaldi Four Seasons, just incredible with incredible talent. So these are the people who are actually go to the front line and and do not come back. We should understand this, and we should understand that this defensive war of Ukrainians is still bringing so much, so many lives. Because very usually the situation is like this that. Ukrainians are are defending and they are just subject to huge artillery fire, fires and they're just uh, defenseless sometimes. Yeah, uh, that's, that's true. And um, 
and it's a huge loss loss for for Ukrainian society to to lose such people as Skripal because not only he was a soldier so you highlighted that he was also a musician and this such a pity that we we lose such bright people talented people and young people as well because young people die, are killed they don't, don't die they they're killed by russians let's name it like that but um we 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 hear this discussion this debate in the ukrainian society because uh, some people say that uh, we should advance quickly so we could we should uh, liberate kherson as soon as possible and we can understand that because in Kherson there are a lot of people who live in under the occupation and they still they're waiting for for Ukrainian army but at the same time my intuition i could be mistaken but my intuition is that Ukrainian commanders they do everything possible to lose as few soldiers as possible and this is the reason why they don't do such stupid things as for example go to try and try to liberate Kherson without having enough uh, weapons enough uh, technical things so without uh, putting at risk um, um, its soldiers and this is a good thing so we still have time and uh, um, even if the operation will take place later it's much better because it it will help to preserve lives But at the same time, we should not be as naive as to think that, look, Ukrainian counteroffensive will be tomorrow in a week or so. Probably we were that naive in April when we have seen that Russians have actually lost the first phase of the war and retreated from Kyiv, from the northern Ukraine. Maybe there was such enthusiasm in the Ukrainian society. But we should understand that this first phase was very, very different from the second phase. Because the second phase is a, a, a long front line with very few advances, but with huge artillery, artillery attacks and missile attacks. And uh, I think that the general understanding is that, yes, the Western weapons do make a difference and Ukrainians are using it very well. The the, the drones, the, the HIMARS, the... Uh, the uh, some the, the intelligence uh, the some other things but this is not still enough for ukrainian victory and it's far way far away from the ensuring real in, in real victory we published an analysis by oleg zhdanov who is a ukrainian military expert on our website ukraine world you can go to the uh, to the chapter analysis there is lots of very interesting analytical brief very brief very concise with ukrainian experts he's a military expert and he says one of the phrases is that look we're getting some very important stuff uh like in units like five things seven things ten things but we actually need maybe 100 and and this is this is what what is really important to understand when we are um, analyzing what is happening on the front line Another important topic is that uh, we already been discussing for a while is the situation uh, with Russian nuclear terrorism, right? And uh, Russians are still keeping control of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is the second largest in Europe. And the they actually are putting their ammunition, are putting their 
artillery very close to the very important uh, places in this uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. And uh, this week there was a dramatic historical event, is that for the first time this plant was disconnected from the Ukrainian grid. And uh, that means that it couldn't even get electricity, electricity from the outside and it couldn't generate electricity. And in this situation, there was a risk of a major nuclear disaster. Yes, that's that's exact uh, description. Uh, it was cut off the Ukrainian system and it, it really lacked electricity for, for its own needs. And at the same time, during several hours, if I'm not mistaken, it was on Thursday, Uh, it wasn't producing any energy for the Ukrainian system. And the rumors were saying that, look, Russians, they are trying to reconnect this nuclear power plant to the Russian system. And maybe they are trying to do to, to cut it off first. And then, But the next day, the, the, the system worked correctly. It was reconnected, first of all, in I, if I'm not mistaken, it was a fair for just a question of a couple of hours. It was reconnected to the Ukrainian system to get electricity for its own needs. And then the next day, it started to produce um, electricity for Ukrainian territory. Good sign. And at the same time, there was an announcement that uh, finally, this International Agency for Nuclear Energy, the mission will be uh, is on its way and they will be uh, at this um, stage not uh, before the 5th of September, so just in a couple of days. And this is extremely good news for Ukraine because what Ukraine demands for many weeks already demands international control, international presence, professional presence, I mean, uh, in, which will be able to monitor what is really happening on the station. Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of information coming from the Russian side that they are preparing uh, a kind of a show for this mission, at least local journalists are talking about this preparation. And even Telegraph, Telegraph quoted uh, anonymously several uh, workers of, the, of this nuclear power plant who stated that uh, Russians sometimes are literally torturing people, I mean, people who work on the station, uh, on this plant, in order to, for them to be silent. And that during the visit of this mission, there will, will be a Russian representative in every room for Ukrainians not to speak, not to explain what's going on. Let us also remind that the personnel of this nuclear plant is really huge. We are talking about 11,000 people who are really taking hostages at this uh, this huge plant. And they, they are not free to go away. They, they have to work under this Russian supervision. And they will be obliged to to just to be silent um, if asked by international missions. Though so these issues are to be monitored quite closely closely during the next days and next weeks. Exactly. We also published an analysis of the of the situation on our Twitter and uh, soon on our website Ukraine World, and. Uh, The analysis by um, by a very interesting Ukrainian expert, Valeria Hesse, who is a non-resident fellow at Odessa Center for Non-Proliferation and a research consultant at Atomic Reporters, what she says is that uh, the Russian ammunition is located close to the equipment that ensures the operation of the turbo generator and that... Uh, basically, according to Energoatom, in the event of a disaster at this plant, 
the area of potential contamination could reach 2 million square kilometers. 2 million square kilometers. And uh, the possible exclusion zone could be up to 30,000 square kilometers. So this is, this is really, really huge. And uh, Russian forces, I quote, may damage a turbine island of the Operation uh, Steam uh, Generation Unit or backup generators. If this happens, this uh, resulting disaster could be similar to a Fukushima situation. And this is this is the reality. And uh, what Russians are doing, you are, you you, ha you have said that they have taken Ukrainian employees as hostages, and they might be forcing them. Basically, these people are prisoners. These prisoners of war, actually, hostages. And we know the 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 tools of influence that Russia Russia has over over such people. And uh, at the same time, the nuclear power plant itself is a hostage from which they are shelling on the Ukrainian positions. And why they are doing that? Then to blame Ukraine that it actually Ukraine, which is shells back and therefore uh, provokes a, a major nuclear disaster. Another topic which is also very interesting, and uh, we started talking about this also on our website, is the topic of ecocide. So uh, we know... Of course, the concept of genocide. Um, Ukrainians also are discussing for latest decades the, the question, the, the, the concept of linguicide, those efforts by Russian Empire and Soviet Union to kill the Ukrainian language and Ukrainian literature. But also we are now talking of ecocide, meaning the destruction of ecosystems because of this war. We are talking about the risk of nuclear contamination. We are talking about Huge fires, for example, when Russians are setting fire on Ukrainian fields. Of course, Ukraine loses lots of its agricultural production, but we're also losing the biosystems, right? The, the, the wildlife, which is, which is in these systems. The same we are talking about the oceans, the rivers. And we have seen that there is a massive death of dolphins in the Black Sea. And uh, of course, the, oh, the the turning this this sea into a a, a war uh, scene, a war state, the stage of the war, makes the situation very hard for obviously of uh, for bio for for biodiversity there because and because animals are dying because the ships are sunk and they they damage the ecosystem of the seas. And um, all all the all the con all the other things which are happening. So and let's also mention maybe the, um, a lot of territories which are mined, so they are also so wildlife is also risking at risk during decades. Will be at risk during decades. I mean, all the animals because they could be explosions and all that. And uh, normally, it takes specialists are talking about uh, already. 80 years needed to demine all the territories, at least in Donbass, because um, the, the calculation is that one year of war, it means 10 years of these demining procedures. So it means, so if, if we take, if we starting, our starting point is that the war is already there for eight years, so we will need 80 years to demine definitely. 
So it will take time and we can confirm that when we travel in even in Kyiv Oblast, in Kyiv region, we still see signs about the territory is mined. So don't walk, don't, don't touch. Um, uh, the inhabitants of Kyiv, they're not allowed to walk uh, freely in the forests, in forests, in the wild zones, because you never know what is mined or not. So uh, this is a story, unfortunately, for decades. And we are to take that into consideration. So we published an analysis by uh, Yevhenia Zasyatko, who is the head of the Climate Department and the Eco Action Center for Environmental uh, Initiatives. And just read it uh, on our website, Ukraine World. Uh, just a few quotes that, uh, for example, the the negative for if we are talking about the Black Sea, the negative impacts on the marine ecosystem in Black Sea are caused, for example, by the sea mines, uh, the sinking, uh, the sinking of ships, the use of the radar equipment by the Russians. All these can affect the Black Sea, uh, the Black Sea states not only Ukraine, but also Turkey, Georgia, Bulgaria, Romania. And uh, this, is, this is all very, 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 very serious. So let's keep this in mind and uh, let's understand that, okay, this, this war brings very long-term consequences. You can talk about the, the food security consequences. We have talked about this. We can talk about demographic consequences, obviously, we can talk about uh, depopulation consequences, nuclear consequences, but also the the ecological consequences, and this is all uh, really very important. Let's discuss some other issues. Maybe there are some issues that you wanted to raise. Um, before you're thinking about this, let me raise an issue of Russian propaganda because we continue to look at it, of course, to this crazy world, uh, to this absolutely different reality. And what strikes us in this reality is that actually Russians, we understand that Russians are have built an authoritarian regime and now they're really increasingly building a totalitarian regime. And uh, th the problem is that their propaganda is saying that they're a real democracy. And when they are talking about Ukraine, we sometimes see a kind of a very perverse, uh, pervert reflection, mirror reflection of what Ukrainians are saying about the Russians. Because Ukrainians are saying, look, we are a free nation, we have democracy, we have changing presidents, we have freedom of speech, etc. And you will be surprised that Russians are saying the same about Ukrainians, about and that they are a free nation and they love freedom. And uh, Ukrainians and, of course, Europeans, Americans are actually totalitarian. So we analyzed with, with our help, uh, with the help of our partners in Texte or UA, a very interesting organization, Ukrainian media, we analyzed uh, some messages uh, recently which appeared in, in on the website uh, ukraina.ru which is a very well known propagandistic russian propagandistic site about ukraine 
related links directly to RIA Novosti, a, a propaganda machine, Russian propaganda machine. So uh, there are two articles and they are saying that Ukrainians are building totalitarianism, that Zelensky is really building totalitarianism, that uh, Ukrainian citizens are slaves. This this concept was used. They are really afraid of uh, of uh, making revolts against their their president, their their government, and uh, that Zelensky is just ruling like, like this uh, uh, totalitarian leader, which is fantastic. I mean, which is really a description of or illustration of what George Orwell uh, said in 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 nineteen eighty four. Uh, freedom is slavery, and slavery is freedom. That's that's what's happening right now in in Russian propaganda. Yeah, exactly. So we observe that for many times, and we do understand that Russians have major, really major problems with with facts, and they're trying to to create this fake reality and to accuse uh, Ukraine or partners of what they represent themselves. Though these outrageous sometimes, but they may even more dangerous is that when uh, we still hear several voices coming from the Western world saying that, look, there are two parts of the conflict and uh, maybe the truth is somewhere in between both. So, And for example, if, when when we read in, in some sources the statements like, look, uh, there, there were shells, Nikopol was shelled and Russians and Ukrainians, they accuse uh, each other of that. So it looks like they uh, don't know really what's happening or don't want to know what's 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 happening really and trying to, to share the responsibility for this aggressive war and to say that in a way uh, Ukraine is also responsible for that. So this is really dangerous. So uh, and it, it's now here we see that uh, Russian propaganda, it, it still works. And we already discussed with you this uh, Amnesty International report, which was uh, largely discussed here in Ukraine and outside about these uh, accusations of Ukraine, for example, putting military inside this civilian object. So all, all this kind of stuff is unfortunately uh, leading to the fact that uh, Ukraine doesn't get weapons quickly enough and this war still lasts, it, it's, it's still not over and it takes lives. It uh, creates destruction and um, it damages the environment and a lot of other things. And maybe maybe the last topic, let's discuss it. Uh, we have some fresh impressions to share with you about what's happening in, in the regions which were touched by the war back in March and what's happening now. For example, today we visited uh, Kiev Oblast. We've been to um, to several places like uh, uh, Lukyanivka, uh, it is Brovary region close to uh, Burispil region, this village uh, around 70 kilometers from, from the capital. Um, Lukashi. Lukashi, also close to Lukyanivka and to others. Velika Dimirka and uh, um, uh, Rudnitsky. Rudnitsky, okay, Rudnitsky. So villages and uh, what's interesting... And, and uh, Barshivka, of course, Barshivka and Berezan. Yes, all these places. But what what is really interesting, uh, we've been to Velika Dimirka, if I'm not mistaken, back in May, in, in the beginning of May, so it makes already uh, three months ago, and it's quite clear that people, they have already started all the reconstruction, 
and not only they cleaned the streets, but they a lot of houses which were completely destroyed back in May. They are already under work, so there's some reconstruction. Some are already complete, and you see much less destruction and much less traces of the war now. And uh, and we've seen an image published in a news- Ukrainian newspaper about uh, Makariv, also a place which was completely destroyed. If I'm not mistaken, it was a supermarket, and which is completely rebuilt. Uh, now, so it means that, and let's also underline that at that very moment, Ukrainian state is still unable to prov- provide uh, financial support uh, for people who, su- who who suffered from this war. I mean, who lost their homes, but still, people are quite active and proactive all on all themselves, and they are trying to prepare for winter and they are tr- trying to rebuild the houses. And uh, mm, and this is quite visible. And I would say that it it looks like it it looks really optimistic. It means that people they are still here. They continue to live. They continue to build their plans for the winter and for for next year. And that they are still able, despite of the economic crisis. We do understand the inflation is really huge in Ukraine at that moment. We do understand the economy is not functioning properly because it cannot function properly during the war. But at the same time, people are still able uh, to take responsibility for for their houses and to act on themselves. But it depends, of course. Let's not just think that, okay, in two months Ukrainians will rebuild everything. I think the the law that we see, the the kind of a norm is that, yes, yeah, some houses are being rebuilt, especially in the villages that are probably more rich, more pr- prosperous, but uh, some others are still staying and, and where people are not that rich and uh, uh, the uh, we have recently made an episode about Moshun, well, in those duchess of Moshun, we have seen only one building out of hundreds in which is in the process of, of rebuilding. At the same time, about the state, uh, it, it, it all comes progressively. We have seen buildings which were damaged by the explosions and in which there are new window, new windows, right? New modern windows and it is visible. So you cannot just expect like a miracle that everything will be rebuilt right now. And I think basically the scenario that the war will come back to the Kiev region is also a scenario that we cannot deny and we cannot uh, we cannot uh, exclude it so and when the war is going on it is very difficult to engage into a massive reconstruction yes exactly but well, well for, for me it was a kind of sign of hope at least because we, we still understand that people are trying to do what they can and they they do their best to to start this reconstruction, even if they understand that the war can be ba- will be back. Maybe will be back. We hope not. But and the state is not financing all this stuff at that moment. But um, to be objective, it gives provides some hope. Indeed, and let's have this hope. Uh, we understand that Ukrainians are are showing their bravery, of course, their, their empathy, their solidarity and uh, are thankful for the solidarity, huge solidarity of the democratic world. Uh, But we also should be realistic. What is happening on the front line right now, and we repeat it 
from episode to episode right now the the uh, the balance of forces is of course not on ukrainian side and we still need more help more support from abroad this was a podcast explaining ukraine by ukraine world Ukraine World is a website in English about Ukraine brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the leading Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermonko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist and uh, uh, in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Don't forget that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend the majority of your support on our volunteer trips across Ukraine. We try to collect important things for people affected by this war, but primarily for Ukrainian defenders. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Listen to our podcasts and share our content among your friends and colleagues, because we really think, we really hope that we do try to make Ukraine better understood in the world. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.